Welcome to Tordi Mecha Parsha with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Rachel Besser, and today we'll be studying Parshat Vayikra. Parshat Vayikra begins the third of the five books of the Torah. Vayikra could be thought of as the overlooked Sefer, the one that people don't know or don't relate to as well as the others. This would make a lot of sense. There's very little narrative in Sefer Vayikra, no sweeping miracles like Sefer Shmot, no intergenerational human drama like Sefer Breshit, just sacrifices, korbanot laws of the Mishkan, laws of purity, of sanctity, specific laws to the Kohanim, with a smattering of discussion of Shabbat, holidays, Shemitah, Yovel, etc. Many of these concepts don't apply today, and especially the Korbanot, the sacrifices that were done multiple times a day in the Mishkan, and then the Beit HaMikdash, are now outside the realm of our experience. What, then, are we supposed to learn from Sefer Vayikra? Why is it a crucial part of our Pentateuch? This podcast will examine each Parsha of Sefer Vayikra and explore why not only is it relevant, but crucial to our understanding of what it means to be a God-fearing person. This week's Parsha, Parsha Vayikra, focuses on five categories of individual korbanot, the ritual sacrifices offered in the Mishkan. The Parsha consists of five chapters, each one discussing a different type of sacrifices. Parak Aleph, chapter 1, explains the details of the Ola offering, the sacrifice that's completely burnt and given to God, hence the name Ola, ascension, as the entire korban rises in smoke. The Ola is a nedava, a donation, a gift of an animal that the person wishes to give to Hashem. Parak Bet, chapter 2, teaches about the Mincha offering, the korban made of flour and oil. This too is a nedava a donation, a gift of bread that the person wishes to give to God, hence the name mincha, a gift. A handful of the mincha is burnt on the altar and the rest is given to the Kohanim to eat. The third type of korban listed in chapter 3 is the shlamim, also a voluntary offering. The shlamim comprises different types of animals, but unlike the ola, it is not completely burnt on the altar. Only parts of the animal are burnt and the rest is eaten, mostly by the donor and invited guests and some by the Kohanim. The fourth and fifth types of korbanot, which are listed in chapters 4 and 5, are not voluntary. Rather, they are korbanot that are responses to sin, the chatat and the asham. Chapter 4 discusses the chatat korban, the sacrifice given when a person has sinned by accident and must make amends for this transgression. Chatat is a mandatory korban that the sinner must bring in order to be forgiven by God. There can be no sacrifice given for a sin done on purpose. The Asham sacrifice, explained in chapter 5, is another mandatory korban in response to sin. The sins of the Asham differ slightly from the Chatat, but are also for unintentional sins, with the exception of a person who lied under oath and now admits the lie. Each of these five types of korbanot is further subdivided into sections. The Ola, for example, is divided into three sections, one for each animal eligible to be an Ola. Each section then is further divided into specific steps. First, the donor places his hands on the animal in a ritual called smicha. Then the animal is slaughtered. The blood is sprayed. The animal is cut. The branches are arranged. Then a specific washing ritual. The animal is finally placed on the altar to be consumed. And this, these steps are repeated for each animal. Finally, the korban ola is completed with the words, Ola hu ishei reach michoach Hashem. This is an ola, an offering made by fire that gives a pleasant smell to God. All the other korbanot also have unique structures that detail exactly what steps must be taken to fulfill this korban in which order. It's ironic 
almost, what must have been a loud and messy process with blood being thrown, with the bleeding of animals in the ears, the smell of the cattle, the burnt bread everywhere. The description of the carbono is actually clinical. It's very structured and formal. Inside the cacophony of noise is the donator himself pressing his hands down on the, on the head of the animal before giving the voluntary offering of the ola or the shlamim, or confessing his sin before the chatat, standing within the whirlwind of the sacrifices, touching the animal that will re represent him as it will be slaughtered. All of this messy, smelly, loud ritual at the end ends with a reich nichoach, a pleasant smell, something positive in the relationship between man and God. Why is this ritual necessary? Why do we need this messy, loud, and overwhelming ritual? And why then do we structure it so finely and so concisely? Perhaps the korbanot, this highly structured activity, can give us a window into the relevance and timeliness of korbanot and why they take center stage in the middle of our five books of the Torah. The Mishkan is introduced at the, Sefer, at the end of Sefer Shmot as the focal point of Jewish life. It is here that we encounter God. It is here that we heard the words, Vasuli mikdash v'shachanti b'tocham, make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst them. The question is how? How can a person encounter the divine? How can finite man or woman connect with the transcendent being that we can neither feel or see? The answer is presented in Sefer Vayikra. It is through the korbanot. While in English we can't translate korbanot as sacrifices, the root of the word is actually karob, to be close. Korbanot allow people to connect to Hashem through being able to give to him. It's almost like a child who wants to give a parent a gift. And the child works all day putting beads on a string and finally presents the gift to her beloved parent. Now, the parent does not need a mismatched plastic beads on a string of yarn. The child, though, needs to give it as a concrete way to show love. So it is an act of love that the parent can take the necklace, exclaim over it, and say how beautiful it is. And it is beautiful, not because the beads are beautiful, but because the child's emotions are beautiful. And these are our korbanot. We use them to be karov, to be close to God, because we are able to give something to God, not because God needs it, but because we do. The korbanot represent passion in the godly service. They are something that people do because they want to give, because they want to come close, because they want to be forgiven and repair the breach between them and God. The korban ceremony places the person at the center, pushing his hands down on the animal, wishing that she could give herself over completely, be at one with God, but she cannot. So she has to satisfy herself with the animal going in her stead. The korbanot speak to every situation that a person is in, from a nedava, a donation, when the person feels on top of the world and wants to express gratitude to Hashem, to the chatat and the asham, when the person feels like the lowest of the low and the guilt is churning within him. The korbanot allow us to take our emotions and bring them out into the world and dedicate them to God, opening up a channel, an avenue of connection, one that we are sorely missing today. The smicha, the placing of the hands on the animal, allows the person to express this complete dedication to God, saying, this animal should have been me. If I could, I would have sacrificed myself on the altar. The korbanot allow the sacrificer to tap into his or her deepest feelings, feelings of shame and guilt, 
represented by the Chatan and the Asham, and also feelings of expansiveness and gratitude represented by the Ola, the Mincha, and the Shlamim, and use these feelings to dedicate the self to God. The Korbanot allow us to dig into these feelings, to touch the head of the animal, to recite our sins if necessary, and then offer the animal or the dough to Hashem. Every person as well can bring a chatat from the expensive ola of a whole cattle that the donor will eat not at all and will be totally dedicated to God to the paltry mincha, just a bit of flour mixed with oil and thrown onto the mezbeach. And also, every person can bring a chatat, beginning with the Kohen HaMashiach, the anointed Kohen, then the Nasi, the, the prince, the entire congregation, and only then getting to the individual. All of these korbanot, all of these sacrifices from each of these persons at every single place in the social strata is a reich mikoch to Hashem, is a pleasant spell, not because Hashem needs the meat, but because through tapping into our deepest emotions of strength and weakness, we exhibit that we want to be close to Hashem. And Hashem appreciates this passion, the desire that we have to be close to Him, and accepts our korban. The korbanot are visceral, ecstatic experiences, one that we as physical people need in our lives to keep us connected and to demonstrate our desire to be close to God. But there is a danger in this passion as well, that the spiritual experience will become an end in of itself, that it feels so good that the person will no longer focus on God, but are on him or herself and how he or she feels, that the ecstatic experience will become primary and the original goal will be lost. This is where the structure comes in. For every person has the ability to be close to God, not just the rich. And therefore, the rituals are repeated for every type of animal and bread. And every type of person should bring a chatat. Every human and individual is equal before God. The structure of the korbanot is so tightly wound to remind us that within the ecstatic and spiritual experience, we must not forget that ultimately we are not doing it for our own spiritual satisfaction, but rather to be close to God. With anti-Semitism on the rise and Hamas and Hezbollah standing literally on Israel's doorstep, many Jewish leaders, when asked, say that the biggest threat to our Jewish community today is not these external threats, but rather our own internal apathy, what Malcolm Holmine in an interview called the negative phenomenon of indifference in the Jewish community. Five years ago, the Pew Report came out and shocked all denominations of Jewry at the attrition rate and how many Jewish youth are checking out of the religion and practice of their families. The Mishkan and the Korbanot rituals are geared to fight apathy and indifference. The unity provided by the Mishkan allowed for everyone to come together in the same place and reignite their passion for Hashem and the Torah. The Korbanot helped nurture our passion for God by establishing a physical ritual that allowed us to give to and thereby connect to God, both when we feel grand and when we feel small, when we feel shame and when we feel largesse. There was room in the Mishkan for the rich and the poor, for the aristocrat and for the ordinary citizen. No one was discriminated against. The opposite, the rituals went out of their way to level the playing field so everyone cannot have an opportunity to encounter God as their true selves and bring out their own passion. We no longer have the Korbanot, but we do still have Parshat Vayikra, the Parsha that reminds us that it is up to us to seek passion in our service of God, whether it be through tefillah, through prayer, through learning Torah, through chesed, acts of kindness, or other mitzvot, we each must find our own korban, what we have to give both to God and to the world, and to use it to connect to God and each other through our offering that we bring into the world. Thank you for studying Parsha Vayikra together with the OU Women's Initiative.